I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is The Rise Podcast. So I, before we jump in, I have to tell you, it, you know this, you know this, I've told you this in real life, Entree Leadership is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. I want to say it on recording for my listeners. I listen to it religiously and have for years. The Entree Leadership event, I'm not being paid to say this, one of the greatest events <laughs> in the live event space, truly, as a small business owner, was so powerful for me. Um, cannot recommend it enough. Like, really cannot recommend it enough. So if you're not already listening to Ken on Entree Leadership or the Ken Coleman Show, man, are you missing out. Well, that's very kind, and you, uh, you you are the reason that we even do that show, and you really <laughs> are. You really are that word that Dave Ramsey created because yeah. you, you've you been an entrepreneur for, for a while, Yeah. but people are recognizing you for the leader that you are, uh, and you really are a great combination of that entrepreneur meets leadership, and we're seeing it with the growth of everything that Hollis Company is doing, so it's, that's, really, that's really kind, and uh, it's, it's also kind of wild. Uh, to to know that that that's had a role in in anything that you're doing because you're helping so many people and that's what it's about. I honestly cannot. I am not. I mean, I'm not blowing smoke. I really am not kissing up. But I can't think of another podcast where I could tell you like my top five favorite episodes of all time that like drastically changed my business. Mm. Here we go. No, <laughs> um, it really like I just listened to one the other day, and maybe it was. I can't. I don't know if it was a new one or if I was just like sort of scrolling back. But you talked to the guy who was the CMO at Chick Fil A yeah. about leadership, like. Like seriously, brain exploding, sending notes to my husband, so powerful. The conversation with, I've told you this one before, Clayton Mask, is my yep. saying his name right? Like mm -hmm. two two years ago, it was a while ago, oh, talk, yeah. talking about um, self-sabotage as you, as you approach new revenue numbers was mm -hmm. an answer to prayer for me. Like I am gushing, I know, but I just think it's the most tactical advice and you're such an exceptional interviewer in how you... You're you're so good at like asking why right when I as a listener I'm like wait why so ugh mm. I just oh, you're I, so kind yes and uh, so I've yeah you know what people need to hear your audience needs to hear because they love you and they're hearing you say this the, the power of a great conversation yeah I, I mean if you think about how much you and I personally could go on and on about how much we've learned from having conversations whether they be recorded or not. It, it really is the game changer. And you might think that you come from, uh, you know, a, a, a part of the, the world that just doesn't give much of a shot to people. And you, you, you had the eight ball kind of in front of your whole life. And you think, well, they've had a better path than me. And I think that, that having a conversation is where the world begins to even out yeah. because anybody can use a conversation as a wonderful learning tool. And it could be one question, one comment that changes your trajectory mm -hmm. and anybody anywhere can have a conversation. It doesn't have to be with the best-selling author, uh, you know, or a thought leader, but just the idea of how can I learn, who can I learn from? And if you constantly have that radar up, 
I think it is the ultimate game changer. It can put you on even footing with anybody in the world. Absolutely. Will you tell us a bit? Because I actually don't, like, it, before I was digging into the book, like, I didn't know a lot about your journey, your career, how you got from there. Will you tell, if, if people aren't familiar with you, they're living under a rock, they don't know the Ramsey organization, will you will you just sort of talk through who you are, what you do, and how you got there? Sure. Well, I was 31 years of age and very on purpose, always had been. Uh, left college a semester early. I still don't have my degree, and that's a badge of honor for me because I happen to be in a field where you don't have to have a degree. And I left early to go into campaign politics, and I thought that that game was the game for me. I loved it, wanted to serve my country. So I was I was that young guy, and by the age of 23, I was working for the governor of Virginia. And there's a big difference between campaigns and governing. It's just a completely different pace. And I got bored really, really fast. And I realized about a year in, Rachel, that I wanted to run for office one day anyway. So I needed a, at that time in in the world of politics, you needed kind of a, a business background. If you were an insider and you only had taken a paycheck from politics, it was perceived as a negative. So I knew eventually I was going to have to cross over into the business world anyway. And so I made that move after a year uh, at 23 working for the governor. So I moved to Nashville. I was in the speaker bureau business. I was basically like a Jerry Maguire booking big name speakers. Then I went to work for John Maxwell. And I, I did like, not know that. Yeah, I had no I, idea. I didn't know yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to work for John because um, I knew that it was going to be huge for my resume. I I looked up to John. He's you know the he's the, the ultimate leadership yeah. guru. I know he's been a, a big, big influence on your life as well. Absolutely. So I worked for John for three years. I'm racing through this, but uh, it was that, at that point that I had picked a neighborhood. Uh, I was going to run for state senate in a few years after working for John and try to work with John full time and, and then be a part time state senator and to begin my political career. And it was in that season with John where I began to really wrestle with is politics where I really want to be? And my passion for politics began to wane to the point where I just didn't feel like it was where I wanted to spend my time. I wasn't happy with, uh, quite frankly, both sides of the aisle. It wasn't It wasn't about policy as much as I just felt like it just wasn't pure leadership. It wasn't doing what needed to be doing. I felt like I was getting restless with this. And about that time, I'm watching one night late. <laughs> My wife's out of town in New York with some girls and they're going to Broadway shows. And I'm sitting at home with four kids. <laughs> and my favorite show, Rachel, was Larry King Live. And I've just always been a nerd. I've always loved interview shows. And so I'm watching Larry King at midnight because he would rerun back then. Uh, it would run live at 9 p.m. Eastern and then at 12 a.m. it would rerun. So I'm watching him. He's interviewing Oprah. And this is at the height of her you know, uh, show. And he's interviewing Oprah, and I'm just totally digging it. And at one point, he says to her, Oprah, would you ever run for U.S. Senate from Illinois or president even? And she immediately dismissed him. She went, oh, no way, Larry. And he leaned in and he said, why, why so certain? And she said, Larry, and I'll never forget this. She said, and I'm in this season of wrestling. Like, I feel a public call in my life, but I don't think it's politics, but I'm kind of confused. And she leans forward and she says, Larry, through my television show, through my O Magazine and through my live events, I influence more people every day than I ever could, even as president of the United States. Mm -hmm. And it was like she dropped a brick out of the TV on my chest <laughs> because I had always been a performer as a little kid. 
I always wanted to be in the play. Uh, I loved the pressure, the spotlight. I was the ham, that kind of kid. And I always uh, was a pretty good communicator. And as I grew older in high school and college, was very, very involved, always on the stage in some form of communication. And when, when she said that, it was like the fear and the doubt that I had been harboring about broadcasting. Because at this point, I'm 31. I don't have a degree in broadcasting. I've never done it. And it felt a little bit like maybe I was being arrogant. And if I were going to tell my friends and family that I think broadcasting is the play, I, I felt a little silly, you know, just thinking about that conversation. The fear of peers is what I call it. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, that began the journey of me saying, you know what, I think she's right. And I think for me, the media and not knowing exactly what that role is going to look like at that moment, the media is the best place to touch people's lives. I wanted to serve the public in politics with policy that would help people. But then it became, how can I broadcast to help people? So that was the very beginning. But uh, shortly after, we adopted our first child, uh, then adopted another child two and a half years later. We bring him home uh, his first week, and he's 12 days old. And we find out two days later that my wife was seven weeks pregnant. And life just went crazy because <laughs> we went from one to three kids in nine months. And so there was a season of that craziness as well as, you know, having a lot of fear and doubt. And it took me seven years to get to Ramsey. Can Started I ask, with, can I ask before you get to the like, you know, Oprah and that moment, I want to back up just a little bit because you're talking about something I get asked about by women all the time right now. And that is when you are pursuing what you thought was the mission for your life, what you thought was the career that you wanted. And you work so hard and you're doing all of the things and you find yourself in a season of extreme burnout. And the mm -hmm. burnout is based on the fact that you, even if you're not ready to admit it to yourself, know that this isn't the right thing for you anymore. So can you talk about wrestling with that and how, how it was to sort of come to the conclusion like, oh, shoot. I've put all this time and all this energy into this dream, but it's maybe not because I know my community is really grappling with that right now. Absolutely. You have to retreat to the why because beyond the details of the career and what you've been doing, there's ultimately always a why. And and so I had the opportunity when I'm wrestling with all this to meet with a well-known life coach who gave me a lot of the material that I use today on the Ken Coleman show. And here's what happened. So I realized that that I had a public call that I wanted to use my abilities of communication and discernment um, to communicate on behalf of people. And so when it wasn't politics, it really threw me that I had to retreat. And this guy, Pete, we met for two or three sessions. And then I just spent a lot of time alone looking into the why. Why did I want to go into politics? And it came back to realizing what I believe every person has, and that's a primary role. So if you've, you've been going one way and all of a sudden it, it, it's clear that that's not it, retreat back to the one thing that will get you the most clear. And many times that's why do I think I'm here or what is my primary role? So for me, Rachel, my primary role is performer. Now my secondary role is coach. So I have to always be in a situation where I am performing but I'm performing to coach. Not That's why I'm not doing sports radio. I love sports. I could talk football all day long. But if I was doing sports radio today, I would feel empty in about six weeks mm -hmm. because I would be performing 
but I would not be performing for the purpose of coaching. So you have to retreat back to the why. So good. And so when you get to the why, you say, well, why did I want to go into politics? So you've got to dig really deep. And so what you're looking for there practically are patterns, clues, as I tell my callers on the Ken Coleman show. Let's look for clues. So there's three basic questions that I'll give uh, your audience. When you're trying to get clarity on why, ask these three questions. Who do I most want to help? Second question is, what problem do I most want to solve? And the third question is, what solution do I most want to provide? Now, your audience, they know that that's basically the same question. It's asked three different ways because it's a psychological technique, and it's trying to get your brain and your heart to connect. And so when you focus on that, really get deep. Imagine the people. Who are they? What do they look like? What are their problems? And, 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 and really ask yourself, well, why does my heart lean towards this group? Had a caller today just about an hour ago, a young lady who started off the call unsure. And uh, I went through this exercise with her and I said, I want you to just turn your brain off. No qualifications necessary. I can give it to you tomorrow. What do you do? And she goes, I want to I love on Alzheimer's patients. Uh-huh. And I said, I said, yes. And I said, why? And she goes, because um, I want to care for people. I love caring for people and, and listening to people and just loving on them. And I said, yes. I go, where does that come from? Take me deeper into your life. I think her name was Marissa. I said, Marissa, take me back. Why do you think that you love the idea of working for Alzheimer's patients? And this is what she said. I think it's because my mom had a lot of relatives in nursing homes when I was little and she'd take me. And she said, I just think that that's there. And I said, can I tell you what I think it is? She said, yeah. I said, do you remember looking in the eyes of those older folks? She goes, yes. And she started to cry. Mm. And I said, did you see a lack of hope? You just saw no fire and they're just looking at you and you'd look at them and you saw no hope. She goes, yes. She started crying. And I said, so you want to give them some type of hope, some type of spark. She goes, yes, that's it. Now, so it came really easy for that gal on the call. But this exercise, Rachel, those three questions, if you really write them down and write out the answers, and I'm a pencil guy because I believe in writing in pencil, write it down one night before you go to bed, wake up the next morning, get quiet before the hubs, the kids, whoever else is involved is up and look at it, erase it, rewrite it. And what will happen over time, your heart will continue to clarify it. And so that's what you do when you feel like you've got some redirection coming in your life. Retreat to your why, because that's always going to give you the most clarity. So you, so, so let's speed back up. You were, you got these babies, you're deciding to make a, what probably to friends and family was maybe a a big, crazy change in your life. How in the world do you do that? Yeah. Well, you got to start small and grow slow. That's the advice I give to entrepreneurs. It's advice I give to anybody who's starting from scratch to live the dream. Uh, Life is so overwhelming in and of itself. When you look at Mount Everest and you get clarity on that, if you try to climb it in one day, uh, you're going to get paralyzed. You won't even take the first step. So for me, uh, I said, okay, uh, what, what do I like to talk about? And the first thing that came to mind was sports. And so while I now know that sports broadcasting isn't the play right then, it was, it was the easy target. So I said, okay, um, let me see if I can find something, anything, or I can intern, volunteer, because I was running my own company. Now I'd left John to start my own company about six months prior. 
so that I'd have the freedom to chase this. So I took a broadcasting class and it was a six week class by a local TV and radio producer. Guy's name was Jeff Batten. I write about him in the book, The Proximity Principle. And uh, uh, I showed up and I didn't know, Rachel, at the time that I was the first person to sign it for his class. <laughs> That's awesome. Which I probably wouldn't have done it. Uh, but I did. I heard it on radio. I heard the ad. I called the guy. I said, can I come by and meet you? He said, sure. So I went by and he had these legit studios. So he was very legit. And I had a nice 20-minute call, I mean, 20-minute conversation with him. And so I signed up. It was three weeks into the class before the rest of the 20-somethings realized I wasn't an instructor. I was the only guy <laughs> in my 30s. I felt like a total, just total dweeb. What am I doing here? This is stupid. I got babies at home. I got a company to run. Uh, but I stayed with it, and I learned some of the basics. And the first live broadcast I ever did, Rachel, was high school football play-by-play. -play. I was doing the play-by-play. -play. A 21-year-old kid named Chris was next to me in the booth, and we were doing it on this guy Jeff's website. There were two people listening, the kid next to me and my wife at home because she's a good lady. <laughs> so that's, that's how you start. Yep. But let me tell you what happened that night. So nobody heard that, and I was awful. But let me tell you what happened. I showed up for that game like it was the Super Bowl. I was out on the field talking to the coaches beforehand. They were looking at me like, who's this guy? <laughs> you know, they almost called security. Like, who's the unknown 30-something out here <laughs> on the field talking to me? And, uh, you know, I was doing prep. I had my own prep board that I'd done on both teams. I treated it like it was the Super Bowl. And what happened in that moment when I decided to do that humble thing uh, was that it confirmed for me. It confirmed that I love being on a mic and I love the pressure. So that's the only thing you take away sometimes from those humble beginnings, but it's what fuels you to the next and it's what keeps you in the game because you get clarity that, yes, I do enjoy this. And that's huge. You clarify and verify by getting out there and doing the small stuff. You know, that's why we wrote the book, The Proximity Principle. Just get around people that are doing it and in places where what you want to do is happening so that you can clarify, yes, that's not bad pizza. This is my heart. <laughs> my heart's telling me I want to do this. What I love about that story, too, is, is something I think so many people miss is you loved it. And, it, yep. and the same with me, like I writing, I love writing. It's my passion. I frankly never thought it was going to be my job ever. It was always just my hobby. But even when it sucks and it's hard and no one was reading my books, it didn't matter because I was doing this thing that lit my heart on fire. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's not something that people, and, and this isn't like some hippie, like, oh, follow your bliss because you also have to pay your bills. That's but right. I think that there's something really powerful about the reminder that like, you can pay your bills a lot of ways. You loving sports, there's 57 different ways you could have come at a career so that mm -hmm. you could have worked in an industry that you loved or that you, it's exactly what you said, you go back to that why and then you find your way. And I do think that people are missing it because A, amazing that you're showing up, like it's the Super Bowl, but part of it was, that was your passion. You, oh, yeah. you were it like... I would have. I wouldn't even know how to do any like you. Whatever you just said, I don't know sports at all. <laughs> so like that, I couldn't have. That would have felt like torture to me. And you know, talking about this idea of burnout again, uh, when I when people tell me they're burned out, I wonder how often it's like. Well, you're doing something that doesn't light your heart up anymore. You oh, know? you just nailed. It. Oh, you just nailed it. Can we? Can I just give you a big amen and talk about something I'm passionate about? Of course. So. Did you know, Rachel, that the World Health Organization just deemed burnout a medical condition? What? 
That is crazy. Okay, so, so I'm so glad you reacted that way. So here's what I want people to hear. What you're feeling is real. When you tell Rachel you're burned out, what you're feeling is real. So we are not minimizing that. But I, I, did a, I did a segment on Fox and Friends on this, and I wrote an article on this about burnout's not real. It's buildup. Mm, that's good. There's five causes of buildup. And I just love to give this to your audience because it, it's a game changer. So here they are. Five causes that makes you feel burned out, but you're only burned out as cheesy as this sounds. No one is burned out until you, you, you die. That's when the flame is extinguished. If you're alive and listening right now, you have a fire. I think it's covered up by a lot of junk. Here's five things. Number one, you don't have any passion for the job. That's what Rachel was just talking about. You, you just don't love the work. You're good at it, but you don't love it. And, and, and so that's number one reason for buildup. Number two, toxic environment. Nasty, mean, backbiting, gossiping people around you or a really bad leader uh, toxic toxicity causes buildup. The third thing is, uh, you're overwhelmed. You don't know how to say no, or you're so valuable that people just keep piling stuff on you and you can barely breathe. And so I don't care how much you love your work, Rachel, if you come into the office on Monday morning, and as soon as you step in, you're trying not to drown, that's going to cause buildup on the heart. The fourth cause of buildup, uh, is 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 being underappreciated. So uh, we know from HR studies that the number one thing that employees want is recognition and reward, not compensation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every guy and lady out there is a little boy and a little girl who just wants to hear, "At a boy, at a girl, yep. good job." Uh, and then the fifth thing is you're bored. So we see this with a lot of high achievers. They'll call my show and they'll say. Ken, I, I feel like I got to switch careers, but I don't know what to switch to. And I always want to say, well, why do you want to switch? And if I find out that they're bored, it's like you're doing the right thing in the wrong place. You need a new challenge, but you don't need to do new work. You love the work. You loved it about 10 months ago, but you mastered it. Now you're bored out of your skull. Yeah, that's good. I think those are the five causes. I think there's probably more, but those are the five that I've identified from my callers. And I'm so glad you bring up burnout. And so what happens when, when one of, or, or all five of those could be at play? What do you do? Well, you've got to diagnose one of those five things. Then the practical thing you've got to do is, okay, well, I've got to alleviate that. So, so if I'm in a toxic culture, I can get this from teachers a lot. Well, I'm not going to give up teaching. I want to teach young people. I want to instruct and guide the next generation. Well, let's do it somewhere else. And, and so we're doing the right thing in the wrong place. So whatever it is, any of those five, we go, okay, that's the problem. So now I know how to alleviate that problem. And most of the time, you're going to have to change locations, but it's not always changing careers. That's a really big mistake a lot of people make. And then they call and go, oh, I thought it was this. And now it's not. And then they retreat back to the one thing they really love, but now in the right environment. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that is a big, that's a huge one for you talking about the environment is this is what proximity is, right? This is who are you surrounding yourself with? What rooms are you sitting inside of? Will you, will you take them through that journey? I mean, obviously it's the book, so you need to go buy proximity principle, get all of Ken's best advice, super tactical, super like, do uh, to- you know sometimes you read business books or nonfiction and you're like this is gobbledygook like I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with this <laughs> so congratulations I feel like it's really tactical which is always my dream but will yeah. you explain this principle to listeners yeah. 
Yeah, super simple. The proximity principle says in order to do what you want to do, you've got to be around people that are doing it and in places where it is happening. So the idea here is we take this colloquialism that's been around for a long time. It's not what you know, it's who you know. That's not really true, but there's a lot of truth to it. And what we're saying is that proximity positions me where I need to be and propels me to where I want to be. How? By the simple formula of the right people plus the right places equals opportunity. So in the book, and I won't go through all of them, I'll just follow you, Rachel, but there are five archetypes of people that I write about. And these are people that I encountered on my journey. And they are real people, the professor who can teach you the basics. This is about getting qualified so that I can enter into the arena I want to be in. They can teach you and they want to teach you. The producer, this is a high level, uh, uh, this is a high producer, excuse me, They're, that's why I call them the producer. It's not a television radio role. This is, they are generating results and they are local. You can get to them, coffee. Lunch is a, is a very real option, and they are in the field that you want to be in, the position you want to be in, and they're winning. They might be able to hire you down the road. The professional is the Larry King story we told earlier. For me, it was Larry King, Oprah, Bob Costas. I'd watch everything they did, and I never met any of them. And I learned how to do interviews by watching them. In this world in 2019, the professional is everywhere. Rachel, for many of you, is your professional. You can meet her at an event, but many of you only know her by this program or by a live event or her book. But you can learn from professionals, the best of the best of the best, via a podcast, a book, an event, a YouTube channel, a webinar. Uh, and then, of course, we talk about uh, the peer. And, and this is the one that most people overlook. Jim Rohn said famously once that you are the, fi you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yep. And that is, I'm going to tell you something, Rachel, when I hear somebody tell me they're stuck, it's not long before I start to ask them about the people they're hanging out with. Mm -hmm. Are they positive? Do they, are they, are they cheering you on? Do they have their own vision and their own purpose that they're getting after? I trained for my first half marathon <laughs> last year. Dave Ramsey basically goaded me in front of our entire team that I had to run it. And I hate running. Oh, man. It's, you know, it's like my favorite thing in the whole world. I know. I'm so <laughs> with you. And so I like cycling. So I, okay. I like I like the stationary bike or I can put on a podcast and just go. Yeah. But anyway, so I ended up training with a guy who's a much better runner than me. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because he was setting the pace for me. I was going to run faster when I was training with him than I would on my own. Absolutely. And so that's the idea of the peer. And then the final person is the mentor. And, and, and this is, uh, this is the person who is like that sage, that Sherpa to guide you in any area of your life. They've just, they're known for two things. Number one, they got a lot of wisdom and then they've got a lot of experience and, yeah. and they can really speak truth in our life. So that's an example of the people, uh, in the book, uh, but it, it really is practical. But this idea of when I'm around the right people, I'm going to learn what I need to learn. Yeah. I'm a chance to do what I want to do, and I'm going to get a chance to connect with more of the right people. And they show me the places and it becomes this cycle of success. I want to dig in to the idea. Uh, I want to dig into more than one of those, but I want to dig into the idea of peers because mm -hmm. I, two things. One is how this has manifested, like I know how this has manifested in my business for sure, but how this has manifested maybe in your career in that when I 
have started to have people in my community who were entrepreneurs at a higher level, my business, I mean, it's it's night and day. When mm-hmm. you're hanging out with someone, like I have a, a friend who shall not be named, uh, who told me that their revenue goal this year was $7 million. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, $3 million more than she had ever done. And she was like, you know, that's the goal. I'm going to, and just because this is me and I'm your greatest hype squad and coach, I was like, do 10. If you can do seven, you can do 10. And I like this whole thing and I'm like coaching her on the phone and we're, you know, this is the year, like the whole thing, right? And she called me the other day and it's July when she calls and she says, Rachel, I just passed 7 million. And she's like, honestly, if I, if you hadn't challenged me, I don't know that I would have, like, I don't even know if I would have made seven. Because mm-hmm. I already had in my head that it was too hard. Now I'm seven months into the year and I've already passed what would have been my goal. And the reason that I can do that is because my business is at a bigger place. And so that number doesn't scare me. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what it has meant to me as an entrepreneur. When you start hanging out with someone who's like, oh, you know, we just did half a billion. You're like, oh, I got to play bigger. So what does yep. that look like for you in your career? That's number one. And then number two is, what if you hear this and you're like, dang, I wish I had people who were a level up. I, how do I find them or how do I get them into my life? Mm, I love that. Okay, so the first part of the question was, I, about seven, eight years ago, Right about the time I'm getting serious about this broadcasting thing, and I told my wife, I think it's going to be five to seven years before we catch a big break. Are you in? She said, I'm in. And so I knew that I needed to to do two key things when it came to people. I needed to start putting myself around the the best of the best in broadcasting in Atlanta, where I could, where where I lived. And so I started working the old six degrees of Kevin Bacon idea, and I started getting around. Uh, some of these big-time broadcasters, Ernie Johnson, who's on NBA's coverage, he's the gold standard, sits with Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal every night, uh, and I had lunch with him, and then I was able to interview him for a leadership podcast that I had started, and, and so I built a relationship with Ernie, and he gave me some of the most valuable advice I had ever gotten, but more importantly than the advice, I had also decided that I wanted to start hanging out with people that made a lot more money than me, mm-hmm. not because it was about money, but I just knew that that was a thing that if I could identify that, these were people that were very successful. And I just wanted to see what are, what are the commonalities in, in these people? What can I pick up from them? And then, you know, I, this is crass, but it's just the facts. And I like to tell the truth, whether you like it or not. Uh, successful people hang with successful people. Yep. And, 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 and so I knew that if I started just having some genuine friendships with people that I didn't belong in the room with, that's not false humility. That's just a fact that good things were going to happen. And, and so earning was one of those people who was big, big time. The guy's a legend and he's won many Emmys. The guy's, he's a hall of fame broadcaster. But then he started introducing me to some couple other people and some producers. And then I started hanging out with different people in Atlanta. My wife and I go to dinner with them and we found that we had a lot of things in common and they treated me just like, you know, anybody else that wasn't, they weren't looking down their nose at me, but I knew I didn't belong in the same room with them. We had very different lifestyles, but I'm going to tell you something. It really made me focus on, on hanging around with quality people. And when you're around quality people, here comes that word I mentioned earlier in the program, quality conversations. Um, they're going to push you naturally by the questions they ask. 
Absolutely. You know, they would ask me, Rachel, they would say, so uh, Ken, what do you do? And I'd say, and I'd kind of, I'd kind of hem and haw. Well, I have a sponsorship sales company. We, we sell sponsorships for leadership events and, you know, we, we you know, we, we do well, but you know, it's just my day job. And, uh, Oh, what's your dream job? Well, you know, I'm trying to get into broadcasting. It's a long road. You know, and I'd start yeah. all these fires. And I remember being around some of those people and they go, man, that's awesome. I really admire you for doing that. And it changed everything. Then I wasn't ashamed of it anymore. I was like, oh, they admire me just because I'm giving it a shot. It's a long shot, but people admire somebody who's on purpose well, because I, of it. I, that, sorry, I got excited and I interrupted you, but I, that is, I love this thought because, and it's so important that people hear this. People who have accomplished more than you will never judge you for wanting to accomplish something more. It's well said. It's only the people who haven't ever done anything or who are <laughs> drowning in mediocrity that would make fun of you or judge you for wanting something crazy. Because chances are, if you're hanging out with someone who's further along the road than you are, they probably accomplished something crazy in their life or career. So they're not going to judge you. I love that. It's exactly right. You know what they say? They basically go, hey, the water's great where I'm at. Come <laughs> yeah, on. Totally. Uh, and, and you're really right because listen, I hear this all the time. This is – I'm so glad you got excited about this because let me give you the converse. So let's look at the wrong people. And I'm going to step on some toes here because some of you are hanging around with the wrong people who are your family. Yep. And they love you. Let me, I'm not questioning their love. I'm not questioning their heart uh, for you. But I'm questioning their motives because sometimes what they say is in, well, don't do that. That's not smart. That's not safe. Why would you do that and leave the benefits you've gotten and the pension and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to tell you why. Because Rachel just pointed it out. They, when they hear you dreaming, it shines a mirror on the dreams that they've left behind. And mm -hmm. they don't want to be reminded that they're not chasing theirs. And so they try to hold you back from chasing theirs. They don't do it on purpose. It's not evil. It's not insidious. And I don't even believe it's on purpose, but it is coming from a damaged heart that is not, it has long since said goodbye to their dreams. And when you leave them behind, that's what they feel like. You're leaving me behind. Yep. And you better be careful because the people closest to you sometimes are the ones that hold you back the most. Absolutely. Oh, so good. So let me ask this, because I know this is a follow-up question that I'm going to get in DMs. If you, like the idea of sort of leveling up with your friends group, or even you mentioned the mentor, I think that a lot of people hear that. I mean, you probably get this too. I have thousands of messages in my LinkedIn right now, which I'm sorry, everyone, I will never read. <laughs> I, I'm never even opening exactly. that. But right. it's thousands of people who are asking me for something. And what I'd love to talk about is if you are hoping for a mentor, if you are hoping, even you describing these conversations with people that were you know, further along the road than you were, you were approaching genuine relationships. It was like, hey, let's go to dinner with the family, mm -hmm. whatever. It wasn't can you help me fill in the blank? Can you Definitely. put me on the podcast? You know what I mean? Will you talk about what does it look like to add value in order just to add value is how yes. you get the, the attention. This was one of the practices in the back of the section of the book. And it's a chapter entitled Be Audacious, Not Obnoxious. Yes. <laughs> and, and there's a fine line here. So audacity is just, is just a little bit of fake courage. You're just mm. going to put yourself out there. You're going to be okay with somebody saying, Thanks, but 
no thanks. Yep. And dealing with a little itty bit of rejection that's really not even personal. That's audacity. Obnoxious is what you're talking about where people can smell you before you even come in the room. They know you're coming in and you got a handout and you've got your little 30-second elevator pitch ready and you're so passionate. Your heart's coming from a good place, but you're so not self-aware that you're just, you, you come across as the most obnoxious car salesman you've ever seen in, in the worst movie, okay? And so what you need to understand is this. The most valuable thing you can do for a person is to show them value. Mm -hmm. Show them that you think they're valuable. So for instance, when I got a chance to sit down with some of these people, and I would always have a mutual connection. If I didn't have a one-to-one, -one, Rachel, I always had somebody else who had a good relationship say, listen, I know this guy, Ken Coleman, sharp young guy, really hungry. He wants to buy your lunch or coffee and literally ask you some questions. That's uh, all he wants. He, he just really wants your insight uh, and, and thinks that you're a valuable resource. So it would always be set up that way. And then the person would say yes. And I would always show up with something to write with. I always had a pencil and a, and a moleskin. That's my jam. Mm -hmm. And, and I would always start off by going super enthusiastic. Hey, first of all, I know your most valuable commodity is your time and you're giving to me your most valuable commodity. So number one, I'm beyond grateful. I don't want to waste it. I admire you. I look up to you. And I've got some questions I'd like to ask you. I just want to go to school on you if you're good with that. Now, let me tell you something, Rachel. There's not a person on the planet who's not going to feel valuable when you talk to them that way. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to share their opinion. I promise. <laughs> yes. You know? And, and so it's not fake, but just go to school. I and love so that. never was saying things like, hey, I think I'm, I think I'm a really good communicator. I, I think I can do this. I never would say that. I would say, here's the deal. Uh, this is what I want to do. And this is why I want to do it. And I, I want to ask you some questions because I, I just think you have some valuable knowledge and wisdom. So here we go. And I would ask questions. I would, my body language would say, I'm a human sponge and you're dropping the formula to cold fusion on me. That's what my body <laughs> language would say. Yes. No? Yes, Be it's so real. Because, because this works, folks. I mean, if you're on the other side of this and you've got a and you're the young Ken Coleman, you're asking questions, the person you're asking is going to feel valuable. And so you don't have to do anything for them. That's the big myth. Because by the way, you can't. Yep. And but this is a this is an old John uh, old John Maxwell quote from I don't even who knows what book, but his thing was always, it might have been Invaluable Laws of Growth, was if yeah. you get a chance to meet with someone and it's like mm -hmm. a meeting that you need, you should prepare twice as long. You should take the amount of time you're getting with that person and prepare twice that number to meet with them. So you got 30 minutes, you better prepare for an hour for those mm -hmm. 30 minutes because that's how seriously you need to take that other person's time. That's exactly right. And here's what I found. These people's time is very valuable, but you'd be surprised how many times at the end of these conversations they would say, hey, I'd be happy to get together again. Yeah. Why? Because they knew that I genuinely wanted to learn from them and I never asked them for anything. Preach. Yes. I, mean, I might have said, hey, uh, well, I actually write about this in the book. You do. The only thing you need to ask for in these meetings is, hey, who else would you recommend that I sit with? Great question. Because now they know that you're not a uh, vulture. Yeah. <laughs> right? 
They know that you're not there just for you and just your advancement. You're there to learn. They've seen your hunger. They've seen your humility and your gratitude. Now they're going to go, oh, absolutely. Uh, let me tell you about this person. This, in fact, I'll make the introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, say to them, what are some places? Where, where can I go that you think maybe I could uh, audit a class or, or, or follow somebody around, shadow them around for a day? People forget that this still exists. You know, in early American, I'm a history geek, so I'll say this really fast. I am too, so I'm here for it. Okay, great. So in the early American economy, we all learned about this in school, but we've kind of forgot that America was built on the apprenticeship. Yep. Well, so one of the most valuable things I did early in my career, we hadn't gotten there to the story, but I was in a real season of down. And I walked in off the street one day to the number one sports talk radio station in Atlanta. And I asked to talk to the program director. He came out and I said, hey, and I I went really fast. I said, hey, I make six figures. I don't want a job. I don't want any money. I want to intern here. I'll do anything. I just want to learn more about broadcasting. The guy looked at me like I had four heads. (laughs) But then he was like, okay, you're not a nut job. You didn't ask me for any money. You want to volunteer? Sure. So I spent three days a week, Rachel, three hours a day of those three days for six months. And to this day, the biggest breaks I got early on were from that experience where I was getting Sprite (laughs) for the guy who was on air and he may have been making 60,000. Wow. So humble yourself, number one. Number two, have some audacity to say, can I shadow? I don't need any money. I'll be quiet. And you'd be surprised what people will say yes to. And so that's a form of the apprenticeship. The free labor is some of the best strategy that I could give anybody when you're trying to switch careers because it's so crazy valuable. It is proximity at its purest form. You're going to learn about the craft. You're going to get clarity, as I said earlier, and you're going to meet people. And that's what it's about, being willing to volunteer. To I call, It's one of the places in the book, and that's just a place to learn. We just want to get in and be human sponges. Ken Coleman, you are the best, brother. I mean, I, like, I'm so grateful that we get to talk and that if there's a chance that any of my listeners have never listened to your podcast – I mean, today did it. Like they they get it now. If you are, if they're listening to this and they're um, loving every single word, and of course they are because it's all of the information. I could literally talk to you for the next six hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where tell them where they can find you online and where can they grab the book? Sure, uh, KenColeman.com, the best place just to get connected with the show. We're on Sirius XM live every day. We're also now on thirty one radio stations across the country, AM FM. Um, and then we have the podcast of the show that's free wherever you listen to podcasts. We put that out each day. The book is at KenColeman.com or wherever books are sold, The Proximity Principle. And I'd say, hey, we're on the show. Uh, we're live every day for two hours. And so if you're looking for some clarity, uh, we do free coaching and counseling every day. That's why we do it. And so we'd love to have you call in on the program and let's get you on fire because you were created to fill a unique role. That means that you are needed but there's some duty here because that means you must do it. Somebody out there needs you to be you. And that's why we do what we do. 
Oh, I love it so much. I'm so grateful for the time. I know I acknowledged you at the top, but I just, uh, I want you to know how much I have sincerely appreciated your wisdom and your teaching over the last five years of my entrepreneurial career. I feel like your your voice has been in my head doing those interviews, talking to people so who, are, no, seriously, <laughs> seriously, it's been a huge, it's been a huge <clears throat> deal for me to just to get well, to learn you. all the things. Because well, what I appreciate about what you're doing is you're talking to actual entrepreneurs entrepreneurs. You're talking mm-hmm. to people who've built real businesses, not just sort of mm-hmm. hypothetically talking to you about what could hi- like, it's like, no, these are real people who've been in the trenches and this is what they did. So if you mm-hmm. have not listened to it yet, King Coleman show, Entree Leadership, all things Ramsey. Thank you so much for your time, brother. I sincerely appreciate it. Well, I'm honored to be with you. You're setting the world on fire and it's just fun to talk with you and, and know that, uh, that I've had some itty, itty, bitty, eensy, teensy. I'm just your cheerleader on Instagram. That's what it boils down to. (laughs) Thank you so much.